Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. My guest tonight is non-binary poet and author Karen Poppy. Karen has written a number of well-received chat books. Tonight, we'll hear poems from some of those books, as well as poems from her debut full-length poetry collection, Diving at the Lip of the Water, published by Beltway Editions, 2023. The book is now available everywhere. Hello, Karen. Welcome to the program. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm quite well. I'm quite well. Karen has been with me before, so we go way back. And I'm so glad you're with me again. Me too. Thank you so much for having me back. All right. Now, let's talk about your book. What inspired you to write the book? The things that inspired me to write the book include the family systems and societal systems that we have that are both simultaneously breaking down and need to be broken down because they are damaged systems. And also that includes our gender binary. And so I write about that quite a lot. Well, break that down for me in terms of the gender binary piece and just flesh it out some more in terms of what's happening in your book. I'd love to know. Of course. Well, as far as the gender binary piece, I am non-binary, and so I do write about what that means to me in terms Mm -hmm. of being free from gender, free Mm -hmm. from the binary, and able to just live my own experience Mm -hmm. and be alive as Mm -hmm. I want to be. I like that. I like that. I like that. Anything else in terms of what may have inspired you to write your book? There is a lot in my book about parenting and about mothering as well. It continues to be a theme in my work. For right. sure. Very nice. Very nice. Now, I've got to ask, please tell me about the title. <laughs> tell me about the title. The title is actually from one of the poems in the book that is titled Diving at the Lip of the Water. It's inspired by Judy Gron, who kindly wrote the blurb at the front on the front cover of my book. She wrote Paradox and Power. I just am still amazed that she did that for me and mm-hmm. I um, I just idolize her, so it oh, really right. meant a lot to me <laughs> that she uh, said that about my work. Right. So what does the title mean? The title means 
many things. That's um, okay. that's the thing. I want to tell the readers, well, why don't you read <laughs> the book oh. of Diving in the Lips of the Water and see what it means to you. Okay. But I guess what it means to me mm-hmm. is uh, a simultaneous diving into experience and also learning from that experience. And in addition, it's about definitions. All right. Okay. Now the cover itself, talk about the cover. It's an interesting cover. Again, I'm very grateful. I feel like this was definitely a group or team effort here. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but a, a fabulous and amazing athlete, Jamie Monahan. She's a three-time Guinness World Record holder in ice winter and ultra marathon swimming. She's basically the ice mermaid or ice queen. She mm-hmm. is the person, the swimmer on the cover diving into the water. And uh, as you can see on the cover, it is ice. Um, It is ice water. She is in um, a very cold area of the world. And her partner, Eric, was the one who took the photo of her. Wow. Very nice. Very nice. So if you had to Share with the world, again, the predominant themes are, give me two or three of them. I'm sorry, I missed the question. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I said, if you had to share with the world predominant themes are in the book, provide me with two or three of them, of the major themes. Just one more time, just so that the world knows. Again, family systems, societal systems, and the gender binary. All right. Very nice. At this time, would you please share a poem or two or three or four? (laughs) I would love to. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm going to go through in somewhat order through my book and read the poems that way. But I am specifically not going to read the title poem, Diving at the Lip of the Water. It is a lengthy poem. I have read it before and had it recorded in other scenarios, so that can be possibly found online. Mm -hmm. However, I really want the readers to read it and find what it means to them. So if you're listening, please read Diving at the Lip of the Water and let us know what it means to you. That means a lot to me when I hear back from readers. So my first poem is titled Womb. Interior sister, liminal, as in moving toward change, liminal, as in close to, imperceptible, close to, as within you, Tender hive, she nested in you, grew thick-walled and large. In her next existence, she will emerge and soar. She will live as a bird, carrying and dispersing seed. She will live as a field of flowers, their legs with her pollen, dance, remember her scent. 
bring her back to their hive, bring her home to herself. The next poem I'm reading is titled, My Mother. Yellow dishwashing gloves in high water, naked feet shuffling on hardwood floor. She always wore a long silk negligee slit up the side beneath her house coat, uncomfortable like my father's hands on her throat. The next poem is a longer one. It's titled To My Grandmother, A Letter. Dear Grandma Myrna, I'm a little late in writing this, seeing as you died when I was 16. I'm 42 now and still pissed at how you died. Heart burst open. Every morning, your husband gave you coffee. So sweet, except for that undetectable poison. Here I am remembering you, an attorney like me, also a lover of poetry, art, animals, and good pecan pie. I inherited your long fingers that can't play piano with any of your virtuosity. I can't trust people like you did. I'm always looking for the lie. Watching who pours my drink or coffee. At 24, you were dead by then. Me, drugged and raped by a false friend. I didn't die, but at the time, I sincerely wanted to. My heart burst open in a different way, but the same broken of love and trust, a ghost. What I miss about you the most are your thanksgivings, all the food, how I now aspire to one day have a deep freeze stocked with homemade pies. You invited all those people from Jesus' house, even though we're Jewish. It was the right thing to do. They were hungry in so many ways. Eat, eat, you would say, and your cat, one of many, would swish his plumy black tail, white worms crawling from his pink puckered ass, as your guests would pass platters of turkey, stuffing, and cranberry sauce, boats of gravy, just like one big family in Oklahoma, with us as outsiders, near strangers from California. I always called you Grandma Myrna, not Graham like my other grandmother, or Granny, or just plain Grandma. Always more formal, more distant, yet a little sad and shadowed. The dirty secret that you abandoned my mother as a toddler. Married another man, then twice again after that. My mom taught us to say Grandma Myrna, smile shiny and bright as your black grand piano. And do you know, my mom still loves you with the eyes of that toddler, 
hungry for whatever you gave her, wishing for a feast but always getting the deep freeze, concealed as a dimpled smile and warm hug. So close to the surface, she still is a child, my mother. To her, your sunny love would have brought peace. She still sees things as she did back then, you know. A child wanting to control how it would go, but no control over anything and starved for love. You abandoned her to your own mother. Bitter orange juice every morning. She watched your younger brother dying on the sofa while you played cards lounging on a sofa across town. Red lipstick. My grandfather used to throw you over his knee for wearing that lipstick. Made you laugh, but you left him and that little girl who only wanted to be like you. Instead, she circled us with love as best she knew how. Even though she married a man who beat her children, beat me, just like your next husband beat her. So off I went to my other grandmother, just like she went off to hers. A parallel story. My mother worshipped you, if you must know, saying your praises. When I see your obituary, which she wrote, I think... I have a lot of stepping up to do. You, a concert pianist, first female law student at your university, the only one in your graduating class. I have your 1945 copy of Leaves of Grass, about which I wrote another poem. You, at age 17, longing to be older, wiser, more knowing. I wonder about all the love you had for the world, but what you did not mature to wisely know, love for your own daughter. I think of you shutting my mom out, closing your heart. I think of her, my mom at age three, alone in a strange house at night, without you, her mother. Yet my heart breaks as I imagine you warming yourself, that last cup of coffee, not an act of love, but poison hurled your heart into so many shards of light. I feel like I need a little bit of an emotional breather after reading that poem. I'm sure you do. I do. But... (laughs) <laughs> but I'll go on. Um, the next poem is related. It's mm-hmm. the poem of my grandmother, Myrna, at the age of 17, the one that I refer to in the poem I just read. All right. Walt Whitman celebrates himself. Walt Whitman celebrates himself. And there are portions in italics in this poem that quote, Walt Whitman's Song of Myself. On my grandmother's door, Walt Whitman knocks like Elijah. On other doors, Gestapo kick their boot soles. No help from God. Seasons pursue each other, allies and Axis powers at war. When she debuted the year before, fabric and sugar scarce. She longed to be older, 
wiser, more knowing, a Walt Whitman meandering through that great consciousness. Uh, uh, should I start over? Yes. It seems like it. Um... Yes, please. Okay. I'm going. I'll start over. One, two, three. Now. All right. Walt Whitman celebrates himself. There are portions in this poem that are in italics, which quote from Walt Whitman's Song of Myself. On my grandmother's door, Walt Whitman knocks like Elijah. On other doors, Gestapo kick their boot soles. No help from God. Seasons pursue each other, allies and access. Oh, gosh, I'm going to need to start over, Michael. I'm sorry. That's okay. I got distracted. There was a dog barking outside. <laughs> I just tripped over my words. <laughs> well, you know, there was someone racing up my street, so <laughs> we're going to make it. And now my dog is barking. <laughs> okay. All right. From the top, one, the two, dog. three. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Walt Whitman celebrates himself. Portions and italics in this poem quote from Whitman's Song of Myself. And when people read the poem in my collection, they'll see those italics. But when I'm reading here, I'm just going to read through. Mm-hmm. On my grandmother's door, Walt Whitman knocks like Elijah. On the other doors, Gestapo kick their boot soles. No help from God. Seasons pursue each other, allies and axis powers at war. When she debuted the year before, fabric and sugar scarce. She longed to be older, wiser, more knowing, a Walt Whitman meandering through that great consciousness, poet of body and soul, large yet modest in her existence, a song to herself, silver brush and vanity mirror, hair brushed to a shine like satin, balms dropped like limitless leaves in the fields, Wars come and go, so who's there? Me, myself, singing of equalities, clear and sweet, not yet of death, that great equalizer. My grandmother examines her Jewish nose in the mirror. Walt Whitman's poem starts with his name, titled All in Caps. He smokes and belches his words but we love him. He is a man, red-blooded American, no matter that he's gay. He's shamed by the mare. Babies just pop out, exclamations taken suddenly. Soon he's everything and everywhere. To look beyond your nose is dangerous. The Holocaust is great, larger than us. Bodies drop like mossy scabs of the worm fence, heaped stones, elder mullein and pokeweed. A child says, what is the grass, fetching it to me with full hands. A child says, and this quotes from a poem by a child who was in the ghetto during the Holocaust. The child said the last, the very last, that butterfly was the last one. Butterflies 
don't live here in the ghetto? How could I answer the child? I do not know any more than he. How could I? How could she? My grandmother was 17. Walt Whitman, we can beat and pound for the dead, but their lives are lost, an ocean dried by great fire. We do not contain enough multitudes to contradict their deaths. We do not contain enough music or poetry to honor them justly. Then death stops somewhere, like it did for my grandmother, waiting for you, waiting for me. In my grandmother's copy of Leaves of Grass, inscribed on January 1, 1945, in careful cursive and with her girlhood name, Myrna Scaloss. Thank you. I need a second to think. I think I do, too. Yes, yes. I can understand that. I'm going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back. We are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I am here with Karen Poppy. Karen. Such amazing work. So powerful. Well, thank you so much. You know, I don't usually ask the following questions until later in the episode, but I want to know now. Does it hurt you to write poetry? Does it hurt me to write poetry? Yes. Like, is it a painful process? Yes. It can be painful, yes, to write it. It Mm -hmm. is painful sometimes in a cathartic way. Okay. And it's also a necessary type of pain that we go through as poets and as artists. So is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? I think that it is letting one's guard down rather than building a wall. Of course, one can build a wall or fences, right, with words. Mm -hmm. We have that when we hear somebody who talks a great deal and doesn't let a word in edgewise, building a wall or a fence. But the poems with the silences that they have within them, with this breaks and stanzas in between, 
those allow for connection mm-hmm. and reflection. Those allow us to build bridges. Wow. Connection and reflection. And they assist us build bridges. Yes. What do you think those bridges look like? I think that the bridges are are profound connection to each other as humans and also to something larger than us, which we try our best to define and yet remains fairly elusive, right? Something we can never quite grasp as humans. I agree with that. Now, during the selection process, how did you decide which poems to choose? I chose the poems that I felt told a narrative story, not one that's necessarily chronological, but one that goes through as as if it's telling the story of a life. And by a life, I don't just mean my life or the life of another person, but a human story, a story, if we're going to talk about connection, of lives that are connected together in various ways. Now, did you organize the poems by ages, stages? Talk about that piece in terms of organization. Sure. I didn't necessarily arrange it in terms of ages or stages, although at points, yes, I start with the womb. It's a beginning and it's also an end. The poem is about a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. So it's about the removal of a very integral part of our creative being uh, as as humans the the womb represents our our beginning right mm-hmm. and our ability to to those of us who have wombs or have had wombs to create new life and give birth to new life mm-hmm. So it starts with that, and then I go on to poems that do talk about childhood and talk about motherhood. But from there, I don't think that there's definitely a linear type of progression. Okay. And I don't think I don't think in our lives there really is a linear linear progression for any of us exactly. I mean, yes, we all march forward. It's what mm-hmm. time does. Mm-hmm. But in our interior lives, we go back and forth daily between the present and the past, and we contemplate the future. So yes. I think that in ordering my poems, that's something that I thought of too. 
All right, very nice. Please share some more of your work. Okay. The next poem I'm going to read is titled Brewer's Blackbird. And it's about my paternal grandfather. Preening feathers to clean, black, slick, sheen. Actually, let me start over. Sorry, Michael. It's all right. (laughs) This poem that I'm about to read is titled Brewer's Blackbird, and it's about my paternal grandfather. Preening feathers to clean, black, sleek sheen of purple and green, his own bold colors and oil slick. Subtle, regal, owner of the scene, male of the species. His yellow eye stares at me, handsome, pale, like my grandfather's, and oh, I can see why my grandmother fell so in love, so fast. He too strutted, looked dangerous. We'll have to marry soon. You're testing my virginity. Yes, she actually said that at 18, 1940. They married and his number came up, drafted by the army. World War II tested them both. My grandfather shot, shot through the face and almost died. Pale eyes startling skin slack on one side. My grandmother, her eyes red every day. A baby, after the war, thank God, another on the way. My father, same eyes, I also have that color. At the moment I match here eye to eye with Brewer's Blackbird, pale yellow that some call piercing green. This bird, what of his female offspring? Females, also medium in size, but plain, brown, and thin. Darkest on wings and tail, with a dark eye, although some have pale. Are these female birds inwardly like me? Ungendered, inside, neither male nor female pale yellow eye, an outward sign, a signal. The next poem I'm going to read is titled, For All That I Can't Remember. In time, you became my mother, my father, and I, your unnatural-born heir. Your eyes shined like red-lit cigarettes in the dark. You took my no for surrender. For all that I don't remember, I can't forget this. I retraced my steps. Your eyes burned into me, making memory, making me believe for years that I could not be worthy, absent-minded fool that I am. I live on in your reckless husk, all that you ever wanted and your greatest disappointment. I should have told you, although I didn't know then, I don't surrender to anything except creation. You made me by adopting me, and I adopted your sins. For all that I don't remember, if you were alive, 
you'd give me a list. I shine with what I've been given, but it also does me in. I am yours, plucked from the gutter, a queer motherfucker. I can't forget this. That poem was written about somebody who, even though in the poem they're not alive anymore, they may still, in fact, be alive. And Mm -hmm. one of my dark muses, I'll just put it that way, definitely very different from the experience I had with my paternal grandfather and my grandparents on both sides, maternal and paternal, who were very good to me. This person was, like I said, a a dark muse, and uh, it was and continues to be a difficult story. All right. And the funny thing is, normally I don't get this personal. Normally I don't explain what the poem means personally to me. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this is a very unique experience for me. I would say normally I provide much more distance (laughs) in my descriptions (laughs) of my poems. But today you get the very personal explanation of my poem. Well, that makes me smile. That you feel willing enough to share the personal side of your poems. I appreciate it. And then I move on to one that is not personal about me, but Mm -hmm. is one that it still makes me feel very strongly emotionally. It's um, something that I I feel every time I read it. You'll see why, but it's a hard read. It was hard to write it. Okay. And I will just move forward with that explanation. You tell me of stars. You tell me of stars, how they chase you, shining like great claws, he white-toothed and holding you down in the dark. Father unbuckles his belt. You, small as a mouse, still gripped with fear, although they call you red deer, celestial doe. You tell me of your blood dripping to sea, becoming islands of enveloped sunset. You tell me of your transformation, deer to antelope, scorpions poison. You tell me, and I tell you, he must be brought down before he kills all animals, before he violates the entire earth. But whatever we do, he stalks you, his daughter, forever. Poem is titled... We hold each other and remain here. I originally titled it Druhabich, which was a place in Galicia, not Galicia, Spain, but Galicia, which used to be where Ukraine is now and was a vibrant Jewish community destroyed during the course of the Holocaust. We hold each other and remain here. Even in the blistering of our names, 
hot rubbed by their contempt and chafing whispers. We hold what's ours, each other. The coolness of your throat, a river's song against which I bed down, soothed by its rise and fall, susurrations. If our names are wounds, let them break open. Still they try to drown us in them as they drowned your father last summer. Our names, our wounds, our dead define us, but still you calm me in all this aching heat. My family already gone, cold in a cold forest clearing. Your family, most of them escaped. Why do we remain here, defiant? Our name's a pus curse on this town and all who inhabit it. Our arms pretend that strength and love are all we need to survive. The house still stands. Someday you will want nothing of it. The last poem that I'll read in this set is titled, Hello, Goliath. I will write you as I know you. Finally, I am not afraid. Sharp light of your being, come toward me. You can dance, laughing. You can tell lies. You can say anything. You can make others hate me. Giant you, little me. Yet I have something hot in my tiny hand. A pebble. I place it in my mouth. Sing out this small round rock, my voice, a slingshot. Thank you. All right. Karen? Yes? Do you feel that a poem (laughs) tells you what it wants to be? I think that most poems... I don't even have any control over them, really. They just come like trains, really. They just force their way onto the page. Okay. And so in that sense, I have no control over what I write. But then again, at some point, you have to contain it, lasso it in, and that becomes the form if the form hasn't already chosen what it's going mm-hmm. to be. <laughs> so <laughs> mostly, no, I have no control <laughs> over it at all. So when it's time to stop writing, how do you know? You just continue on? Tell me about the process of ending a poem. I you know just basically continue. I continue the poem <laughs> <laughs> until I think it's done okay. or until the the powers that be, which mm-hmm. is um, some inner outer voice, thinks it's done, mm-hmm. and then, and then after that, there are these people, and they are called editors. Yes. <laughs> they tell me when the poem is done, <laughs> cutting it up in all sorts of ways, right. or telling me to go back and write more. <laughs> I understand. What I'd like you to do for me at this point, (laughs) I'd like you to share with me 
the titles of five poems in the book. The titles of five poems in the book. Well, one is Diving at the Lip of the Water, and that's the title poem, right? The the poem right. that, the that is the one that you the won't read. Title okay. of the book. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. All right. The one that I will not read. Yes. <laughs> leaving everyone just wondering what is in that poem. Right. <laughs> All right. And then in case of emergency, on your birthday, which I will read, also new moon, spring, and standing in the kitchen. All right. What I'd like to know is when titling a poem, what is important to consider? What should you think about? (laughs) I usually try at the very basic level to consider what the poem is about. And then I write that title and oftentimes guess what happens? I end up crossing it out. (laughs) I'm like, no, that's not the title. (laughs) The title. And then, then, then the title pops out at me either from someplace in the poem or because I reread the poem several times. I'm like, aha, this is what the poem is about. Mm-hmm. Or again, one of those fine people, the lovely editors or a reader yeah. says, actually, this should be the title. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so mostly I do title my own poems. Okay. All right. I like that very much. like that very much. Now, when you think about... Being a poet, what do you think your poetry conveys about being human? I think my poetry conveys about being human, that we are all connected and interconnected beings. I said that Mm -hmm. before, but that really is the overarching theme of my life and of my work. And I think of my purpose to communicate that nobody is alone, that at times as humans, we may feel very lonely. The pandemic taught us, unfortunately, even more about that. Right. But we're not alone. We're not alone. You know, I did receive questions from well-known, acclaimed poet, internationally acclaimed poet, Michael Lee Johnson. He had some questions for you, and I'll focus on the first one right now. This is what he asked. Okay. What does this mean in your life? Smith College is history, though who, those who have passed through. Karen Poppy, 98. I this. love this question. <laughs> All right. <Okay. laughs> <laughs> Tell me everything. Hello, my hello, my Smithies. Um, <laughs> we call graduates of Smith College and current students Smithies. Hello, my Smithies. <laughs> I am currently wearing a Smith College T-shirt with a picture of the Smith College china. It's a teacup, and it, underneath it says Smith College. So this is a very appropriate question. 
<laughs> I love my alma mater. I am mm-hmm. so fortunate and grateful that I got to attend Smith College. It changed my life as I thought it would over and over again. And mm. also it changed my life as I never expected it would. One can never know when one embarks on something like college, you know, what's going to happen and how it's going to basically inform and create your life. But that's what it did for me. Mm-hmm. As a poet, the very reason I wanted to go to Smith College in the first place is because I found out as a very dark 12-year-old that Sylvia Plath had attended Smith College. Mm -hmm. So, of course, at that point, there was no other place I wanted to go to college. And then I worked so hard (laughs) (laughs) after that to make sure that 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 became a reality for me and I received a really thin envelope from Smith College and before opening it up at the age of 18 maybe 17 actually I basically was in tears oh my gosh I got thick envelopes from all these other schools Mm -hmm. and here's this sad thin envelope the one place I really wanted to go, I didn't get in. I opened it up, and I think that people who um, who were accepted at the same time as me, they know the feeling of the thin envelope and then opening up and saying, congratulations, you're accepted. Basically, um, Smith College kind of pumped us. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like a rejection, and you opened it up, congratulations. Um so being able to go to Smith College and have that privilege, I do feel that very deeply, that it was a privilege that being able to live and breathe the same type of air, so to speak, as Sylvia Plath, as other great poets, I was in the first year at the Smith College Poetry Center, mm-hmm. so the teaching and everything else, all the connections I made with students, alums, my professors, it just uh, goes on and on. And I can go on and on, but I know that we're short probably on time. So great question. If, um, if you wanted, like, not, not only just one podcast, but maybe like a whole series, I could do this forever, talking about Smith College well, and I, its influence on my life and my work. Well, some of the other ladies of merit that Michael mentions, Nancy Reagan, Yolanda King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter, so Smith's College must be the place to be. Exactly. And uh, another one that comes to mind, another alum, is Gloria Steinem. Oh, wow. And so just um, feeling very grateful this month, actually. Gloria Steinem 
was the founder or a founder of Ms. Magazine. Yes. And my book, Diving at the Lip of the Water, ended up on a list of books to read, poetry books to read in Ms. Magazine online. So very grateful. Just wanted to express my gratitude there. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Very nice. Very nice. See some more of your work. When I was at Smith College, I became good friends with someone in my first year named Cecily Bostock. Mm-hmm. She actually came from the Bay Area as I did, and we were introduced by a mutual friend before we left for college. It was really lovely to have someone I knew at college with me. She ended up leaving after first year at Smith College to attend Stanford. And then we reconnected after graduation She lived for a little while with me and my grandmother. And then, sadly, she committed suicide at the age of 25. So I have never stopped loving her, my dear friend. And I don't think that I'll ever be able to stop mourning the loss of this brilliant, brilliant person. So this next poem and the poem after about her. On your birthday, I never knew the name of my earthly love until you were gone, because that love is friendship, a meal. I savor the memory of your freckled limbs and taste the age you will never be. I sit in the doorway, crouch among leaves, but your eyes twinkle with the last season And I sigh, forgive me, since you are gone, but I continue. Rain dampens the leaves, lacquers their mottled beauty. I touch them as if they were slick skin and swallow in their swollen scent. Their veins open to the air, spread through their star-shaped bodies, glistening fire on my hands. Such temporal brilliance. Come winter, leaves under snow, my teeth cold and the air strongly mineral. I will say your name against the pure, colorless sky. The next poem is titled New Moon. You died in the limbo of a new moon, a blank sky, only 25. There are those who believe, had you lived, you never would have tried again. But you stabbed yourself out of this life, like stars sear holes in our sky, like you gone sears holes into our lives. So we move through with meticulous caution, upheaval and grief that we organize, that we place item by item, memory by memory, that we smooth into the earth with your straight, long limbs, perfect and young. I think of you 
how you touched the blood with your finger, a last question in a night so dark that I'll read is titled Spring. Pink and white petals bloom and release, their dance sprung open and floating down like leaves in fall, reminding us that autumn will come again. By summer, these trees stand bare, bring to mind winter. I will say it starkly, my words bare, like trees bereft of every blossom, of every leaf. I love you and will miss you when you go. I want to ask the impossible, please stay here with me. Let's not think of death when spring welcomes us with rebirth, with warmth. Yet your body hurts, your pain's not fair. Everything around us, so beautiful. The next poem I'll read is Standing in the Kitchen. Sometimes I suck the ghost of you from a plum at the sink, savor its skin against my lips, tongue its soft flesh and juices, cry at the hard core, that mass that within you grew, took you from me, all your beautiful ripeness. The sink drips its feet, the incongruity of things that last, silence, sound, impermanence. The last poem that I'll read in this set is about my soul horse. I ride horses, and I love horses so much. They bring an incredible amount of joy to my life. And my soul horse, his name was Concho. He was a beautiful, beautiful flea-bitten gray Arabian horse. And when I say beautiful, I mean skinny and old. (laughs) He had a beautiful soul and (laughs) he was definitely a survivor and he understood me more than anyone, and I gave him enough understanding and love. I really tried. I really tried to let him do what he wanted to do, which mm-hmm. was mostly to gallop and go. He was fun. Concho one. His eyes, dark water in which I'm never drowned or lost. Limpid, clever. He tells me to chill. His mind melds to mine. I braid his gray mane, tighten beauty against all threats. Calm the stars of my fate, but I can't keep him from his. Less than a month, dies corpse dragged through the dirt, my skinny one culled by the herd. Two, you loved maple leaves sneaking a bite on the trail. I'll never forget his words as I rode mind to mind. Chill, baby, chill. 
Thank you. That's the last poem of the set. Karen, what do you think makes your poetic voice different from others? I think we all have unique voices. We all have something to share and different ways of communicating. So in that sense, I think that my voice is unique just as in the way every voice is unique. I don't know. I think that that would be something for others to parse out perhaps (laughs) how they think my work is different from the work of others or the same. Okay. Well, try this on. What makes poets different from other people? I'm keen to know this. I think that poets have a very sensitive perception of the world Mm -hmm. that we live in, and we are here to communicate the feelings and experiences of life, that that's our purpose, and to connect others to words and to their own interior, as well as ultimately to each other. All right. What would it be if you were to give your readers advice before they began reading this book? What would you tell them? Advice on what to do before reading the book? Yes. I guess to go in without any preconceived thoughts or notions and try reading it that way Mm -hmm. and then go back and read it again and see what you think on the second reading. I, for one, am never really able to grasp a poem or any book that I read on the Mm -hmm. first read. There's always something that will come from reading it again, and sometimes again and again. There are books that I have read countless times because each time, each time I get a new, um, literally a new reading of it, right? A new experience. So with this particular book, are you hoping that it resonates with a broad range of readers, or are you targeting a specific audience? While the book itself does have themes of family and of motherhood, it has themes of the Holocaust and Jewish life, as well as LGBTQ plus identity. I do hope and I think that it will resonate with a wider audience. I hope that people are able to read and consider beyond their own experience. Mm -hmm. I see that 
doing so broadens our viewpoints. So that's my hope. Okay. <laughs> Sounds very nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lofty goal. It's a lofty goal, Michael. I know, I know. And I support you and encourage you 100%. <laughs> I am in your corner. <laughs> now, here's one more question from Michael Lee Johnson. I'm not really sure how to, whatever, but I guess you know this. He says, tell me about this poem. P.S. Vitals needs to be vital organ, the eaten. Oh, my poem. Poem is it? <laughs> so it's the eaten. I am the dark legacy of animal devouring grizzled flesh. She arose. <laughs> Offering glistening snacks. Okay. <laughs> is this one of yours? It is. He uh, <laughs> found it online. So I was not prepared for this question, but I am preparing myself. Well, <laughs> what is, got, can you repeat the you, question for me? <laughs> he said, Tell me about this poem. I wrote this poem while I was writing others about antelopes and the process of natural selection in various okay. ways. <laughs> so th this poem, like many others that I have written, mm -hmm. is about the animal world, but it also is symbolically about our human experience. Oh, wow. I can read that poem if that will help yes, the audience to understand yes, the question. Yes. That would be fantastic. Poem is one that can be found online with um, my other poem, When It's a Woman, which I'll actually read next. I'll just okay. dovetail it that way. When It's a Woman appears first in womenzine.com, but I'll read The Eden at this point and then read when it's woman next the eden i'm the dark legacy of animal devouring grizzled flesh chiaroscuro offering glistening snake of intestines jewel jam of vital organs treasure coffin of ribs sternum heart beating in its pulse in memoriam to myself, the she-lion, lioness, grazes with her teeth passionately, their glint soft like her tongue upon my every recess. She brings deep parts of me to her young. I fulfill one strand of prey, power, the weaker, outrun. So in this poem, it's the weaker who is ultimately preyed upon. Mm -hmm. In the next poem, it's when people who are in power pawn those who are more vulnerable. And in our society, that often is young girls. 
this poem is both on women zine. It's W-M-N-Z-I-N-E dot com. Mm -hmm. And it's in addition in diving at the lip of the water. It was a very difficult poem to write. It was, for me, like giving birth. <laughs> and I had basically midwives helping me. I had um, I had a couple of people who served as editors, not really to tell me what to write or what to cut, but to urge me on to give birth to this poem. When it's a woman. The sea sways womanly, floats and bloats your father's body. You, always daddy's little girl. We push on, give birth to our own children. The sea will pull you in, unbirth you and beat you, forcibly expel you, return you to your father, your flat eyes already dead. I state this all hypothetically. Facts await eventual uncover by moving sands on the seafloor. That's where you'll find me, us, beaming a single light to an ever-shifting surface, signaling from monster-populated dark, heartbeat you can't erase. I am here. I am here. Pulse and surge, you swallowed us whole. It happens in every community. I will tell you how two women, a famous author and her best friend, drugged a sister, laughed at her body. Trust violated, she fell under. When a woman tricks you, betrays you, by taking you beneath her wing. Shame drives us below, then truth comes out. Truth comes out in time. When we speak from depths, call with persistent, searing cadence, light lifted and liberated, united and aware of our own power. Karen? Mm-hmm. Yes. How did, how did you deal with the emotional impact of writing this book, this collection? Because it had to have been an emotional I, impact. Because I'm going through one right now. So I'm sure as <laughs> the writer, <laughs> something happened. I do take rest between my projects, the way okay. that actors will rest between mm -hmm. their different projects. And then I go on to something different. In this instance, I went on to write more poems, which I'm still working on. I'm working on a couple new collections and also an opera libretto. So I just have to, at some point after taking a break, I keep going. And that's all we can do as artists. There may be a time where it's really necessary to take a break 
And there are times also where we don't mean to or want to take a break, but somehow we are not creating at that point. Mm -hmm. And take heart, know that it always comes back. What do you think you learned about yourself? Anything new? Writing this book. I can't really answer that question without, again, a full series on (laughs) everything I learned about myself writing this book. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought that writing poems, and I still think this way, it's like the short sprint. It's the the shorter work, except with, of course, epic poetry, that's different. But with the poems I write, they're shorter than, Mm -hmm. say, the prose that I write, the novels, the the short stories even. But in putting together the collection, it became more like a story that was being completed or something larger than I realized. So more like the diver on the cover of my book, Diving In for the Long Swim. Very nice. You know, as we reach the end of the program, would you please share a couple more poems? Of course, I would love to. I answered questions about Smith College and Mm -hmm. mentioned Sylvia Plath. Yes. This uh, poem is partially inspired by Sylvia Plath's poem, Lorelei. Badass Mermaid, It Is No Night to Drown In, Lorelei by Sylvia Plath. Blood whirls within, whirl of ear, ocean sound. You profound and under deep, hobgoblin, hobbling, hobbling there before I sleep. I in your realm, a siren, not yet. Oh, hey, I'm going to have to start over, Michael. Yes. Sorry, my, um, I guess if you can put this on the editing floor, my my yes, dog yes. is um, pestering me. All right. <laughs> no problem. Let me just Only- uh, only a hundred thousand people here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's okay. <laughs> Is this true? I'll edit it out. I'll edit it out. Don't worry. <laughs> Is this live? Okay. Well, that's okay. Um, everybody hey. can say hi to my dog, Kitty. <laughs> Kitty is right now um, basically trying to lick my face and uh, tackle me. <laughs> And now she's going to her side of the sofa and putting herself on a pillow, which I appreciate. So, Badass Mermaid, It Is No Night to Drown In, Lorelei by Sylvia Plath. Blood whirls within, whirl of ear, ocean sound, you profound and under deep, hobgoblin, hobbling, 
hobbling there before I sleep, I in your realm, a siren not yet but sobbing. You moving murk, darkness, spies lurk. In winter I tumbled there accidentally. I sang within the sea, fathomed I had privacy. Your ears, they bled with my song. Homer's Odysseus told it wrong, or his men told it innocent. Their ears waxed sealed against all sound. I, innocent too, innocently fell asleep. Dry eyes packed in snow that does not freeze. Leagues and leagues deep, countless. Before that or after, I don't remember, and probably pointless. I used your shampoo, smiled and combed my hair. Your rage silvered and glinted on your teeth and eye. No matter, soon, back home, spring, somehow I didn't care. I slept until I woke. Chrysalis cracked on the seafloor. I, a mermaid with wings. Lorelei, butterfly, a terrible glistening. Beauty can be frightening. I did not know myself, knowing all I could know. My mind a mantle, ripped off like a sheet at night, became great, one vast I. Then I could write like a seer, everything and everywhere, a messenger. I do not drown. Badass mermaid, I breathe water, I breathe air, I derange. Pitched roofs, pitched reefs, I say your name, write your nightmare. Dive back under, scaled with your fear. My tail smacks down, flashed lightning, ear-rending thunder. Irritated clam creates the pearl, the pearl in turn creates me. Then I create... Write, surrender, open a universe, land, and sea. The last poem that I'll read is titled Graveyards. I started with a poem about the womb, and now here we are at graveyards. Hmm. Hush for a moment and listen. We know enough about each other to fill a graveyard. That's how well we've dived in. Sometimes my anger expands like an ember, rips up the earth. Apocalyptic fire, wind spit fury, graveyards giving up their dead. After all, I don't even know if you're sorry. Thank you, Michael. Oh, wow. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I don't know what to say, Karen. You removed several layers of skin with this book. It is true. It was definitely a process that, Mm -hmm. like open water, long-distance swimming, I imagine, in the cold, Mm -hmm. it leaves one raw. Mm Mm-hmm. Where can one find the book? The book can be found online at the Beltway Editions website. 
It can mm-hmm. also be found on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, several other places online, and also your favorite independent bookstores and libraries. For those who have a favorite independent bookstore, all you need to do is go there and ask for them to order a copy if they don't have it already, and they will order a copy for you, hopefully. It's usually the case that they would. And (laughs) same with libraries. If they don't have a copy, please let them know about my book and let them know that you would like to have it in the library collection. It will then be a choice for the librarian whether to carry the book and have it cataloged, but usually they do like to have patron requests of the library. So that's another way to get the book and have it go to other readers as well for the community. Where can people find you? People can find me online at karenpoppy.com and also on social media. I have an author page on Facebook, Karen Poppy, and then 13 Foxes Designs is my Instagram. I don't use that as often, but have been putting more on there. I started the Instagram originally for a business creating artisanal soaps, but then at the turning point, the turning point for that business was the pandemic. And so I still make the soaps, but more just for personal gifts for people, things of that nature. And I kept the Instagram and carry it on for my writing. What's next for you, my friend? Where do you go from here? Creatively? That's always, that's always the fun of it. The the challenging part, what happens next. I'm continuing to work on my new poetry collections Mm -hmm. and writing more poems in addition to the collections I've already put into manuscript form. And I'm also continuing with my opera libretto. I have one composer I'm working (laughs) with. It's set set in a time of... um, of Castrati singers, the time when the composer Handel was alive and working and creating. So the composer I'm working with is going to be creating the portions of the score that are the more traditional Baroque music portions. And then we're looking for a composer. So this is an advertisement also for the composer that may be out there interested in this project. We are looking for a composer to help us compose the rest of the score for the opera. The opera is about merfolk. It is about gender and queer identity. It is about the composer Handel. And it is about carrying on with existence through strength of being and music. So if you are a composer and this sounds good to you, please join us. Karen, I'm so glad our paths crossed. 
me too, me too. And I said all of these things about the projects I'm working on, but what I didn't say is the projects that I think are coming next to. I'm going to be working more on short stories and novels, and I am going to be cheering on all of you who are creating, connecting, writing. It's a big job. It's a necessary job. So keep going. Well, I was going to make the statement that with our paths crossing, mm-hmm. you opened up new ways of thinking for me. You wouldn't know that, but you have. How so? Well, just in terms of, I think, the vulnerability piece to just tell your story. Mm-hmm. Just put it out there. It's not going to be easy to, to, to do it, but just to tell your story. Someone's not going to like it, but that's okay. That's okay. It's definitely I think that's the a most process. Yes, I'm sure. It's a process, though, being open and vulnerable, being able mm-hmm. to tell your story, and then also being able to say, okay, I'm telling my story, but there are portions of my work that are not mm. about me. And that's mm. fine too. Yes. It's very yes. important that we as artists be allowed to express ourselves. Mm-hmm. And this is a very controversial thing I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. To write about experiences that are ours as humans and to also write as human beings about experiences that are not necessarily our own, but which we very carefully research and understand that we are not only ourselves as individuals and as creative beings, we should not be limited in what we write and what Mm -hmm. we create. (laughs) That is uh, a form of, well, I I will be bold enough to say it, fascism. Mm -hmm. Mm. So because people I know. should not ban books. They right. should not um, stifle the creative spirit and what people write about, mm-hmm. what people mm-hmm. express. And yes, I mean, there are limits, right? We should yes. not promote books that are hateful to True. any group. That's, that has happened. That's a, a fine line. That's, you know, a hard mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. But it's very important to allow people to create works without silencing them Hmm. as long as they're within good spirit. Wow. I want to thank you. I wish you nothing but the best. You know that. Thank you. You too, Michael. You were amazing. I'm so, (laughs) so glad to know you. Well, we're, it's a mutual admiration society there. And also <laughs> on this show, sure <laughs> if you have a collection of short stories, short stories too. <laughs> so if you want to do a trial run on this show, just let me know. You can come back anytime. Oh, thank you so much. I will let you know. I will put something together just so I can be back. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, I'm serious. Midsummer would be great. Mid late summer would be fantastic. All right? I'll be All here. right. Thanks, Michael. Right. Thank you so right. much. Karen Poppy, everyone. Her new book, debut collection, Diving at the Lip of the Water. Available now. And as I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, everyone. Good night, Karen. Good night. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, bye. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.